Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Fireside Chat. I'm Dennis Prager. Is that Snoopy behind me? No. Nobody's behind me? He ran away. He ran away. Mm. Okay. Hi, everybody. Megan's here. Can rely on Megan. I will say that. So this is a chance to talk to you about what is on my mind and take your questions. What number is today? 325. 325. So... The reason I'm smiling, I can't figure out the reason I'm smiling because this isn't funny at all, <laughs> which is really absurd that I'm cracking myself up. But, but I'll, I'll partially, so I'm going to even analyze why I'm laughing because that, that's the way my mind works. Every, everything needs an explanation. So first of all, I always say I prefer to laugh than to cry. Okay, that, that's actually a factor because you could cry on, uh, on the issue that I'm about to raise with you. Secondly, it is so absurd that even though it's awful, it's, it's actually somewhat funny in its absurdity. So what am I referring to? The head coach of a National Football League team, for those of you watching from other countries, that's our big American Football League, the NFL, the National Football League, it's, it's very big in America, American football, and the coach of one of the most well-known, popular, and successful teams, it's called the New England Patriots, the team, and the coach is, uh, the new coach is, is a black man. He was at a press conference with the owner of the New England Patriots. They were sitting next to one another. And the owner said, uh, he was asked a question about this being the first black coach of the New England Patriots. And he said, I didn't hire him because he's black. I hired him because he's the best coach there is. And, and he, he just went on and said, and he, oh, he actually said, I'm colorblind. I just look for quality. I didn't hire him because he, he's a, he even said, I remember what he said, because he's a person of color. I hired him because he's the best. Now, let me just ask you, all of you watching or listening, wouldn't you want to, re want to believe that? If you were black, or so you'll say, well, I can't imagine what it's like. Okay, so half of you are women. Would you want to be, let's say you were hired for some very high position, would you want the person who hired you at a press conference to say, I want you to know that we hired uh, Madison here because she was a really good woman, a really talented woman, or would you prefer that the person who hired you said, we hired Madison because she was the best we could find in the country. What would you prefer, right? I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm removing the word black from the equation. Is there anybody who would rationally prefer, emotionally prefer, to be to, that it be announced we hire, you were hired because you are in this group or because you are the best? What do you think is a higher compliment? 
So that's what the, 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 the owner of the team said, again, seated next to the new coach. The new coach then spoke and differed in every way with what the guy who had hired him said. Just said, you shouldn't, there's no such thing as colorblind. You shouldn't want to be colorblind. I'm paraphrasing. But now I'm not paraphrasing. These are the exact words. If you don't see, no, if you, let's see, if you don't see color, what, what are the exact you words? You can't see racism. Oh, you can't see. That's right. If you don't see color, you can't see racism. So he actually would have preferred that the owner of the New England Patriots had said, well, we hired him in large measure because he's black, to we hired him because he's the best. There is so much to be said about this, I could truly devote the entire half hour of the fireside chat just to this subject. This gives you an idea of of what I've come to realize in the last five years. I always knew it, but now I really know it. If something is repeated often enough, it doesn't matter how absurd it is how beyond reality it is, how untrue it is, vast numbers of people will nevertheless repeat it and believe it. So I give an analogy to, to show how absurd and, and untrue this whole thing is. If you don't see race, you don't see racism. So in other words, you should see race. Color. Does it matter? Or, well, he said race. Oh, he said color? If you don't see color. Oh, he said color. Fine. Yes, it, does, okay. it, it doesn't matter, but it, you're right. I want that. I want the exact quote. So, in other words, you should see color. If you don't see color, then you don't, you don't see racism. Okay. So, I give an analogy, and because it's the most dramatic example of... Uh, of hate that we have in the of, of an ethnic or racial or religious group, the Holocaust, where the Nazis murdered two out of every three Jews in all of Europe, six million out of the nine million, and in every baby, every 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 grandmother, wherever it was a Jew, you died, you were murdered. Now imagine this. Can you imagine a Jew saying in Germany in the 1930s, the Holocaust began in 41, but the, the, already the bad stuff started already in the 30s. Hitler came to power in 33. Can you imagine a Jew saying, if you don't see religion, ethnicity, or race, then you can't see anti-Semitism. It's inconceivable. Had the Nazis not seen race or, uh, or ethnicity or religion, there wouldn't have been a Holocaust. There wouldn't have been anti-Semitism. Every Jew in Germany and in Poland and in Ukraine and in France and every other Nazi-occupied place, they would have 
literally given their right arm for the Nazis not to see groups, not to see religion, ethnicity, race, right? I'm hoping that I've been able to convey how untrue and how absurd the statement is. The ideal, but, and I say I'm hoping because it's so hard to fight against giant lies because people believe them. Very many people believe that men give birth. And, And this is really, this is as absurd as men give birth. But to especially the college educated who are the most brainwashed and who have the least ability in many, in many instances to fight the irrational, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if the analogy even works. Of course men give birth. Of course you should see color. That means you're anti-racist. Oh, so if I don't see color, if the most important thing about you is not your color, then I'm racist. Doesn't, doesn't that strike anybody with common sense as, I keep coming back to the word absurd. I wrote an article, you could all see it. Uh, I don't remember the title, but if you put in Dennis Prager in a search engine, if you put in Dennis Prager Rotary Club, I think it'll come up. When I was in my 20s, I moved to California and I joined the Rotary Club. Many of you don't even know what the Rotary Club is, I'm sure, but it's a a service organization. It's terrific. They do a lot of good work. And I was the only Jew in the group because it was the the Simi Valley Rotary Club. And when I went in the 1970s in my 20s, Simi Valley was a very small town and had almost no Jews. And I wrote how I fell in love with the Rotary Club and with America. As this was part of my falling in love, nobody gave a damn that I was a Jew. And that would not be true in almost any country. If I were the only Jew in the Rotary Club, I'm not saying they all would have been anti-Semitic. I don't believe that. But if I had been the only Jew in a French Rotary Club or in, in even a British Rotary Club, uh, it would have been a big factor in the way people perceived me. I'm not saying they would have mistreated me. I'm just saying it would have been a big, it was no factor. It didn't matter. That was the, the genius of America. It didn't matter. Now, of course it mattered in the past. And that's the irony. When race mattered, there was racism. That's the whole point. That's, that's why this coach's statement is so absurd. When race mattered, when people did see race, that's when it was racist, much of this country, or a good part of this country. It's when you don't see it that you have reached a beautiful state. You're just Joe. You're not Mr. Black or Mr. White or Mr. Jew. So I want you to, I want you to understand that if you agree with what the coach said, you, you, you have been taught not to think clearly or morally, but certainly not clearly. And that's something to be worked on. The dream is to be colorblind. Okay, 
We're good. And now, it's time for your question. Hi, Dennis. My name is Melana Noll, and I am from a small town in Illinois named Kansas. My question is, I Illinois has remained very liberal for the past couple years. So, and I'm so conservative. So my question is, what is your best piece of, piece of advice for someone living in a liberal state who remains conservative? Okay, so in case, whoa, let's see. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it one more try. I did it. So in case you missed it, so first of all, I think it's a riot that you live in a place called Kansas, and it's not Kansas. Kansas, Illinois. So the question basically is that uh, she, uh, Illinois, has been on the left and she is on the right. She's conservative. Illinois is quite left. What is the best piece of advice for someone living in, in such a state who remains conservative? So, yes, I have a very good piece of advice, and this pretty much solves the problem. Find kindred spirits. I live in California, which is probably even more radical than Illinois. But I have so many wonderful people in my life here who share my values. I, I don't, on a daily basis, I don't walk around realizing what a, what a Looney Tune state I live in. I mean, sometimes it, it just comes up and it obviously directly affects me and I try to fight it. But I have so many people in my life who share my values. That's the key to personal survival in, an, in the age of the absurd, is to find people who think rationally and morally. That's the answer. You got to find these people. By the way, there's no guarantee you would find them. Let's say you lived in Florida, which is now a more conservative state. It's a much freer state than Illinois. There's no guarantee uh, then that you would find such people. We always, people need to look for friends. This I have said since I 25 years of broadcasting my happiness hour. You have to date for friends the way you dated for a spouse or date for a spouse. It's, it's not easy to find friends. And we are now living in the age of loneliness. There are more lonely men and women, especially young people, but also old and middle-aged in America than ever before. It's such a, it's such a problem in Britain that there I don't know if it still exists. There was a a position in the government called the Minister of Loneliness. Isn't that something? That's how big a crisis, and it is a big crisis. Uh, I I would not have gotten through life without friends. I knew this from sixth grade to today. I've always had at least one incredibly close male friend whom I could even say I loved. I, I've always had at least one man in my life. Now I have a, quite a few that I love. It's a big, big, it, not just a big help. It's, uh, it's something you it can't live without. It's indispensable. Okay, next. 
Uh, hi, Dennis. This is from Levi, 26 Durham, North Carolina. Hi, Dennis and crew. That's you folks. I love your show very much. Makes two of us. My question for you is, what are your favorite auto moments? <laughs> My favorite auto moments. Oh, thank you. You thank me. I don't know if I have a favorite auto moment. I got to think about that. Here's my view. The purpose of having a pet is that, especially a dog, maybe a cat too, is to make you laugh a lot. I, and I, Otto made me laugh a lot. It, w- it was difficult just to look at him and not crack up. But that's partially in the nature of English Bulldogs, which is why I'm a big fan of English Bulldogs. Just looking at that face is, is enough to make you laugh. But uh, I, I can't say that I recall a particular favorite moment. My wife definitely would. <laughs> I have. You do? What, well, it was really fun to see how... Oh, I, I know what you're going to ask. You're right. Show up. Yeah. That's right. She's right. I knew it the second she started speaking, the owner of the most famous arm. When the guys would come in, the crew would come in with the cameras and tripods and lighting... Otto simply went into the bed by the fire, by the fireplace for the fireside chat. It was, it took, took you aback. I mean, okay. We doubted I, for I, I, I know we, we doubted. Yeah. Yeah. Like we he, thought it was a coincidence. Yeah. It wasn't a coincidence. He saw the guys and, and he went into position. That, that, thank you. Marilyn. Ohio. Hi, Dennis. Love your fireside chat. Love Snoopy, but I miss Otto. Thank you. I know you love words and that you don't use them lightly. There is one word that I hear you use a lot. That word is lucky. I think that you are a man of faith. And so I wonder why you don't use the word blessed instead of lucky. Blessed points to God and gives him the glory while lucky sounds more random slash chance. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you. Have I not addressed this? I'm just curious. You talk about lucky a lot, but I'm not. So I much should address about this because I know it bothers a lot of my fellow religious people yeah. when I use the word lucky. Uh, but uh, there is lucky and there is blessed. I don't know when one, it, it, which one it is. But you see, this is a very, very important subject to me. I do believe in luck. I believe in God, and I also believe that there is luck. Because otherwise, you're in a very difficult position. If whatever happens is God's direct will, I just read about two brothers, young boys, who were killed by a drunk driver. The parents lost their two sons. One night, one fell swoop. They were crossing the street. And this drunk driver just ran them over. Uh, as a parent, the I, I, every parent has that is the parent nightmare. Your child dies. We try not to even go there. It's it's so painful. I have two sons. My two sons were killed by a drunk driver. The effect on my life would would. In, in, indescribable. But I would not believe that God willed 
directly that they die. I, I would, I, I would, now, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I don't ever, this is one of those examples where I'm not trying to talk anybody into the way I look at life. Often I'm trying to talk people into something, not with this. If you believe it is God's will that those two boys were killed by that drunk driver, then, and, and if, by the way, and if that brings you, let's say the parents, comfort, believe me, I, will, I, I would want you to believe anything that would bring you comfort. But remember, my Bible commentary is called the Rational Bible. There's a reason for that. God gave us reason, and he wants us to use it. Animals don't have reason, but we do. God willed that those two boys be killed. That means that he also willed that the drunk driver kill them. Did the drunk driver have free will? Or will you say, well, no, the drunk driver, that was his, it was his fault. Okay, so that means that God didn't will that the drunk driver kill the two boys. That means, however, God still wanted the two boys dead. So God would have figured out another way for the two boys to be killed. A tree would have fallen on them. They would have died of both of having an aneurysm or a heart attack. I believe that God works things out in the afterlife because there is tremendous amount of injustice in this life. That's just a fact. We should try to minimize that injustice in this life, but it exists. So I believe I am both blessed and lucky. And that's, that's it. One final word. The belief that there is luck does not negate God's existence or God's governance of the universe. I draw a distinction between govern and control. If I go to Las Vegas and I go to the roulette wheel. Does God will that I win or lose on the spin of the roulette uh, wheel? If, if, he, if he doesn't, then there is luck. If I won, I was lucky. And if I didn't, I wasn't lucky. But do you really want to believe that, that God determines every roulette wheel spin? I don't. Okay, I'll just just leave it at that. In my the next volume of my Bible commentary, the fourth of my five volumes, I'm doing the, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, the Torah, whatever you want to call it, the first five books of the Bible. So the, the fourth one coming out is called the Book of Numbers. It's a boring name, but it's an extremely interesting book. I have a very, very long essay on the issue of luck based on a verse that I had to explain about where the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, would cast lots what area of the Holy Land their tribe would settle. So was it a lottery that God allowed to determine, or did God determine it in advance? 
That's that's so I have the whole essay there. Look for it, please. Juliana, 42 years old, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Dear Dennis, I would like to congratulate you and your wonderful team for all the good work that affect positively so many people in and outside the U.S. By the way, I know we have a big audience uh, in uh, in Brazil. For uh, I've been told that a lot by Brazilians that I meet. As a Catholic wife, mother, and teacher, I feel that many families influenced by the relativist and materialist aspects of the secular world are misplacing their priorities in life and putting themselves at risk. Mother Teresa once said that if you want to change the world, you should go home and love your family. To what extent can we amplify this wisdom considering the appalling blindness of the souls? Thank you once again, and God bless you and all at PragerU. Cheers from Brazil. Okay, so let me let me see what you're really asking, because there uh, there are there are different points raised, which is very common that people do that. They have a lot of points in their mind, but they don't all add up to the exact same question, or they may think they do. So let's see. So many families are influenced by the relativist and materialist aspects of the secular world. Yes, that's correct. Mother Teresa once said that if you want to change the world, you should go home and love your family. That's also correct. So how do we, uh, how, how do we amplify this wisdom? Well, we amplify this wisdom by amplifying this wisdom. That's what I try to do on the Tireside Chat in my writings on my radio. Prager U is amplify wisdom. You might say that's our motto, amplify wisdom. <laughs> that's, that's correct. So, by the way, it is a very interesting thing here about uh, I, uh, if you want to change the world, you should go home and love your family. There are so many different ways that wise people have said that. What, isn't Jordan Peterson's line, first make your bed, right? Isn't that, isn't that where he begins? Yeah. This is a realization, whether, whether it's, it's Mother Teresa, Jordan Peterson, things that I have said and others, many, many, many people have understood that uh, going out and making a better world when your life is in chaos, it doesn't usually work. Uh, it'd be an interesting question. How many people have had chaotic lives and did a lot of good? By the way, I'm not saying it, it's not possible, but I would, I would like to know. And my way of putting this is, Jordan's way is excellent. Mother Teresa's way is excellent. My way has been, before you fight the world, fight yourself. So that, that's my way. We, we all have our own way of expressing it. In other words, if you, as I've said so often, one of the great things of my religious education was I was taught that the biggest problem in Dennis Prager's life is Dennis Prager. That has stayed with me my whole life. We all have to fight our nature. By the way, we have two natures, all of us. Very, maybe that's worthy of it. If I didn't do that, that's an interesting thing. We have have human nature, which is universal, because I'm human. And I have Dennis's nature. We all have a different nature. We all share human nature, but we all have our own nature. So here's the killer. You have to fight both. <laughs> By the way, it's not to say that we don't have good, good things in our nature, but you got to fight uh, a lot of the bad stuff. Jan, Southington, Connecticut. 
Do you think we should bring back the draft and would you include women with it? The draft in America, I think that we have uh, at this point crossed the line. It's too bad. It, It had such a positive impact on American society when everybody had to serve the country and where some rich kid who went to uh, Princeton was with some poor kid who barely made it out of high school. And it was very good for both of them. I don't know, um, unless America were attacked, it would be hard to imagine that it would work. Yes, I would draft women, although I would not draft uh, mothers because who's going to take care of the children? So you'll say that's sexist. And I don't, I don't know exactly what that means. It, it means that, I guess, discrimination on the basis of sex. Okay. What should we do? If, if a woman is raising children, what should we do? Draft her? They say, well, what if the man is raising children? Okay, that's much less often the case. And perhaps every case should be dealt with on its own merits. I, however, would not necessarily draft women for combat. That I, I am frankly ambivalent about that question. I, I want to do what works. My, that is why I am not for uh, having a trans people in uh, the military. I, I admit it, not because I'm anti these people, but because I don't think it helps morale. And the purpose of the army or navy or air force is to win a war. It, it is not to socially engineer society. It is to win in combat. And if, if I'm a woman and in my barracks is the, the person next to me is a man who says he's a woman and we're sharing the showers and, uh, in front of me is a male body with male genitalia. I don't know if that's going to help me be a better soldier in fighting for my country. So my question is, what, what works? Which, by the way, is the most important moral question there is. Morality is what does good, not what feels good. I'll end, I'll end with an example, affirmative action. I've said this all of my life. Blacks in America deserved affirmative action. Given slavery and later discrimination under what's called Jim Crow laws, blacks did certainly at the time of le- civil rights legislation in the 1960s, they deserved affirmative action. In other words, we will accept you into this university with lower grades if you are black because of historic discrimination. We will lower the standards to admit you. But I always opposed it. In other words, I said they deserve it. That is, they being black black Americans. But it didn't do good. It didn't do good for them. Most black students who came into college 
uh, under affirmative action, I think it's most, maybe half, did not even graduate or had to go to another college. So, and I also believe that hurt minorities in another way, and I'll include women. United Airlines has announced that it is reserving 50% of its spaces for pilots for women and people of color. Why will that benefit women and people of color? If you have a, a female pilot 10 years from now on United Airlines, won't you wonder, is she the best that United could find? Or was she an affirmative action pilot? Why is that good for women? The question, does it work, is a moral question. We're good? We're good. I hope we're good. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Dennis Prager, see you next week. Thank you for watching this video. To keep PragerU videos free, please consider making a tax-deductible donation.